On September 17, 2009, 24-year-old Mitrice Richardson disappeared without a trace in the woods near Malibu, California, and was never seen alive again. I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the podcast, Helen Gone. We're going to try to find out what really happened to Mitrice Richardson. School of Humans and iHeartRadio present Helen Gone, Season 3. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Fight Night, a new podcast from iHeartRadio. They thought he had robbed the deadliest man in this country. Guys who would not hesitate to blow your head off. This story from Atlanta, Georgia, has been reported for 50 years. But now, for the first time, you're going to hear what really happened from the people who lived it. Listen and follow Fight Night on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When Politicon called me and asked me to host their very first foray into podcasting, I had the same question that many of you probably had. Why the hell would you want me to host? I get it. I am not the most conventional choice for a political podcast, but Politicon isn't the most conventional political convention either. It's a little bit of a mix between Hollywood and Washington, D.C. So, okay, I suppose an argument could be made that I've had one foot in each of those camps myself. I get that. But one of Politicon's motivations was a bit more about logistics. (laughs) Of the hundreds of names of high-profile folks in the Politicon Rolodex, The progressives either weren't willing to talk to conservatives, or conservatives weren't willing to be guests for them, and vice versa. Political conservative hosts weren't willing to talk to liberals, or liberals wouldn't be guests for them. And I guess maybe I was one of the only folks stupid enough to try to find the good in everyone. And I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass here. In today's political world, being nice to someone on the opposite side of the aisle is really almost more of a liability than it is a positive. But that's what this podcast is about, trying to figure out how we can survive and get along with each other. So here we are. I'm Clay Aiken. It's Wednesday, October 7th. And this week, Politicon is welcoming someone who I actually like. Now, I'm telling my fellow progressives here, don't at me. Our guest is Tommy Laren. And yes, I like her. I disagree with her on, well, damn near everything. And sometimes she says shit that makes me want to bang my head on the wall. But so does my mother. So does my brother. And you know, your family members likely say things to you that make you want to scream sometimes too. But you know what? You know better than to hate them for the things they say and do that drive you nuts. And damn it, we're going to do that together this week with my friend Tommy. I'll ask her about the president's COVID diagnosis. I'll ask her about the state of the race with less than one month to go. And I'll ask her, how the heck are we going to get along? Tommy Laren, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for the introduction. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that it's about time we start having real difficult and honest conversations with one another because, as you said, how else are we going to get along if we don't even have the conversation? You know, I <laughs> I wonder it all the time. We've been doing this show for, gosh, I can't count, 35, 6, 7, uh, 100 weeks, it feels like. Um, and I don't know if I have an answer to that question yet. But you and I have um, been together twice before, so this is our third time talking. And, you know, as I said, 
And as I told you the very first time, we spoke at Politicon two years ago and a year ago also. You know, you know where I stand politically. I know where you stand politically. I don't agree with a lot of the things you say. I know you don't agree with a lot of the things that I say and feel, but you know, you're a, we're people and people, you have people in your family who disagree with you. Do you have any progressives in your family? You know, I come from a conservative place. So I have to say, I don't have mm -hmm. a lot of progressives in my family. However, I do have fellow conservatives in my family who are not a fan of Donald Trump, who are fans of conservatives, conservative oh. thought, they're Republicans, but they're just not all aboard the Trump train. And I also will say I have a lot of liberal friends. I've lived in so many places across this country, just moved to Nashville from Los Angeles. And believe it or not, we do have a lot of liberals here in Nashville, <laughs> but I have yes. a lot of friends that <laughs> exist on the other side of the political divide. And that's how I like it. You know, either we don't talk about politics or we agree to disagree. And, you know, life shouldn't be all about your political beliefs or how you vote. There's so much more to us than that. What What's the deal with the family members who are conservative but don't like Trump? What's their reasoning? <laughs> well, my, my grandma, although she might agree with most of the things that Trump does, like many people, uh -huh. she doesn't like how he speaks. She doesn't like how he tweets. She doesn't like his decorum. It's very much, uh, you know, an, an old school mentality. And it Donald Trump is a, not a conventional president, that is for sure. Some of us love the bottom, and some of us just don't quite uh, get on board with that, and my grandma is one of those. <laughs> really? Now, was she like that in 2016? Yeah, I think that she's always just wished that he could be a little bit more presidential, and I'm on the opposite side of that, which is I am so tired of smooth-talking politicians. I'd rather just have somebody slap me in the face with the way it is and decide if I like it or dislike it than someone that's a smooth talker. But some people still appreciate the decorum of a president and, and acting more presidential. And I respect that. I just, for me, I like a plain talker and I like someone that shoots it straight. Listen, there's, that's been sort of, I mean, I have family members who actually feel the same way um, about, feel the same way that your grandmother does who do not like the way the president talks, who do not like the way he tweets, who do not like his general less-than-presidential demeanor, but who have decided that they still like what he does and still like the policies that he has put forth, the tax cut, etc., and therefore are willing to overlook the superficial to them, the superficial stuff, because they want the end result. So it's interesting to hear that there are people, I mean, I mean, I knew they existed, but what makes, what's the difference between those two groups? The people who, both, both your grandmother and my family members acknowledge that Donald Trump can put his mouth in places that it shouldn't be <laughs> um, a lot, but half of them are willing to overlook it. And apparently half of them, your grandmother, potentially, are just not. What's the difference? Well, she's still going to vote for Trump. I'm still very confident she's going to vote oh, really? for Trump. Oh, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, something can make you emotionally upset or you can dislike the way someone acts or their behavior or their word choice. But at the end of the day, I think most Americans, especially right now, are voting with their pocketbook and they're voting on what they want this country to look like. And it's been six months of really difficult times. And I think those that didn't like the way the president talked or tweeted, I think they're starting to realize that if the Democrats or the far left are in control of this country any more than they already are, 
that we're headed down a bad, bad path and they're willing to overlook what they don't like about the president to you know, keep their cities from burning to the ground and so that they have the ability to reopen their businesses and get back to work. It's far more important to most Americans. Yeah, but remind where's your grandmother live? South Dakota. That's where I'm from, born and right. raised. So, but so there are no big towns, no big cities in South Dakota. Do you think that she's still concerned that what she has seen in Portland or what she has seen in, in, in some of these places where there have been, admittedly, have been some pretty awful riots. Um, do you think she's really concerned that's going to come to South Dakota? Well, hey, it came to Kenosha, Wisconsin. So I think a lot of Americans had that reaction. A lot of Americans in middle America thought that that kind of thing only happened in Los Angeles or Chicago or New York City or Portland or Seattle. And then when it came to Kenosha, when it came to Minneapolis, when it came to places closer to home, I think a lot of Americans had that realization that if it can happen in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it can happen in Rapid City, South Dakota. It can happen in Bismarck, really? North Dakota. It can happen anywhere. Well, but Kenosha, Wisconsin is essentially Milwaukee, right? It's not a, it's, it's, it's very much right down the street from Milwaukee. I mean, South Dakota, there, there's, there are no big cities there. And it's all very, I mean, it's, it, I don't, I don't, I think that argument is very interesting. And I think that there have, it certainly has had an effect. I mean, even as a as a Democrat, I have seen that argument, especially at the end of the summer, having an impact. And it, and it certainly did. Even there are not very many Democrats in my family. <laughs> so I'm one <laughs> of the very few. But but one who I know, one very close, a sister-in-law, who said, okay, I can't, I'm, I'm a little worried about this. I'm a little worried. Because Raleigh, no, Raleigh's pretty boring. Love it. But we had some violence and she said, I can't deal with this right now. And I, and she started thinking she was going to vote for Trump, but she's left there. She's come back to the Biden camp. <laughs> um, it's just her and me, <laughs> but, but that argument didn't, it didn't seem to hold very well for, for the president. When, when do you think that the things started switching back towards him losing some of these folks. Well, I don't think I don't think he that. has because you also have to remember that although where I'm from is a small state, we do have Mount Rushmore, and they wanted to tear that sucker down too. So it doesn't who really. Th who wanted to tear that down? Oh boy, there was calls for that when the president went there for the Fourth of July. There was a lot of discussion. From who? Oh, I mean, from who? Google it. The left, the hard left. What everybody. It's hard to define terms because we don't all exist on the hard right or the hard left. I believe Americans exist in a spectrum, but the cancel culture. The, the popular culture that we're wanting to tear down statues in the rest of this country, there were also calls to tear down Mount Rushmore or to repurpose Mount well, Rushmore. So as a as a liberal and a liberal who believes that there are certain things that probably we probably don't need Confederate statues that we're honoring if someone who was known for for just fighting for the South in the Civil War. I don't know that we need those, but as a liberal, I think that some of some of the cancel culture I agree with you on is just, and it's band-aids on crap. And if people were calling to take down the Washington Monument or the Jefferson Memorial or Mount Rushmore, there's just not any sort of even close to majority support for that, even on the Democrat side. So is it, I mean, and you know I'm no, you know I'm a liberal. That's nonsense. Is it really that people thought that someone was going to try to take down the wash the the Mount Rushmore, or was it just a really nice 
infuriating thing to rally folks around. Well, that's not the only thing. But again, a lot of folks didn't think we'd be at the point sitting here in 2020 where we had two weeks to flatten the curve that turned into six months. I mean, look at California, look at New York. They're not much better off than they were in March or April. And not a lot of folks thought that we would see cities literally burning and we'd see police forces standing down as things are looted and vandalized and cop cars are set on fire. And when to say that, oh, do you really think that's going to happen? Don't you think that's an exaggeration? Well, I am somebody that's been in this industry for a little bit and for you know my adult life. And I didn't think I would see what we've seen this summer. But here it is. And a lot of Americans are thinking, you know what? It could get worse. It probably will get worse. And we need law and order. And a lot of Americans are behind President Trump. And they know that he will bring law and order and they know that he will do what needs to be done to make sure that businesses are safe and open and making sure that our communities are safe and free from the riots. And that's a lot of people are going to vote for Trump that might not have otherwise done it. So I want to go back to you said two weeks to flatten the curve and here we are six months out and some of these cities are still not some of these cities and states still don't necessarily have a handle on it. I think that you have a point there, certainly that there is, there are still places, plenty of places, lots of places, most places in the country that it's still a problem. What, what would, what would you have wanted to see differently? What would you have wanted to see? What would you have changed in order to have flattened the curve? Because it sounds to me like you're saying we had two weeks to flatten the curve, but we haven't done it yet. Well, I don't think that it's haven't we done it yet. I think that the goalposts continually move. So at first it was flatten the curve. We want to make sure we have hospital beds and ventilators. We want to make sure we're not overwhelming the system and we have the resources. So don't know what this thing is. We don't know how bad it's going to be. We don't know who it's going to impact and affect. And so we wanted to flatten the curve. And I completely understood that. However, I always caution folks, as soon as you start giving up your rights, don't be surprised when it's really hard to get them back. And I know that the people sitting in New York and California are really feeling that right now. And even in Michigan, well, but, feeling that right now. But I want to give you a chance to, I want to give you a chance to change what you said then, because it sounded to me like you were saying two weeks to flatten the curve argument. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the benefit of the doubt and say that perhaps there is a valid argument that the goalposts have moved. I'm not a scientist. I'm going to listen to them. I, I, still want to be cautious about this this disease that has killed a lot of people but certainly we were told two weeks and now we're not we're well beyond it but it sounded like you were more upset by the fact that a lot of states still don't have a handle on it and that's what i'm curious oh about. no no i am still upset that there are so many states that are restricting the livelihoods of their residents and keeping them under these lockdowns, shutdowns, and infringements that quite frankly, in my opinion, even living here in Nashville are arbitrary. For example, here in Nashville, we have an 11 p.m. curfew. It used to be a 10 p.m. curfew. And so I repeatedly ask our mayor, is a nighttime coronavirus more deadly or are we just making it more difficult for bars and restaurants and the people that work in those bars and restaurants to make a living? It's a lot of these things that seem very arbitrary to those that want to open a business when you're allowing Walmart and Target and grocery stores to be open, but the salon down the road that always practices sanitary operating conditions is told that they can't open, or the gym that is really responsible for keeping a lot of Americans healthy and making sure that they don't have some of these other health conditions, they're being told that they're not allowed to operate. So it's the picking of the winners and losers. And unfortunately, it's in a lot of Democrat places that that's been happening, continues to happen. That is very frustrating to me. 
I don't understand sometimes what the point of a curfew is and what. The, so, t- so like when we when we have seen because I'm I, I question this myself sometimes when we see that there are a lot of protests that have turned violent at times. We've also seen cities put forth curfews. In those situations, what's the point of a curfew in that situation? Well, the curfew when they're having a rioting situation, and I'm not saying that I fully agree with it because I think that any sign of a riot, it should be shut down. But obviously, it's a lot easier to have a riot in the cover of nightfall. It's a lot easier to be destructive in the cover of nightfall. It's a lot harder to manage people when it's dark. It's a lot harder to identify people when it's dark. But I'll tell you, going out and being so able to do a restaurant or bar is a lot, is a lot different than a riot. But isn't that situation. the same argument? Because I think some folks would, some of these, at least here in North Carolina, the argument was more that after a certain period, people tend to act a little differently and a little more recklessly. And if you're out at 11 o'clock, you're probably drinking and probably less likely to follow social distancing advice and guidance. And therefore, you know, we're not going to be serving alcohol after a certain hour because that's when people let their guards down and they start doing getting way too close to each other in a bar and spreading this disease. I mean, so if if a curfew works in some ways because we recognize people behave less responsibly after a certain hour, doesn't that mean that it's understandable that we would want to have a curfew to keep people from behaving not responsibly? But, you're comparing rioters who seek to loot and burn and destroy cities with people that want to go out and have a couple of beers. So I don't think it's no, but No, I'm not yet. comparing the two, but I asked, the reason I asked you what the point was, and you said that people, it's, people behave less responsibly after a certain hour, and it's harder to, it's harder to manage people after a certain hour. But Clay, I have so, to ask you this, at what point are we going to end the curfews? Because you know what, there are a lot of people that acted responsibly before COVID that went out and did things and drank and probably made some mistakes they didn't want to make, over drank, had a little bit too much fun. But for me, it's when the government starts saying that we need to babysit you when you're going out and doing a normal activity that Americans have enjoyed for generations. Don't we do that by having a don't we do that by having a drinking age or having dry, you know, no alcohol sales on Sundays? And I mean, we've got they're dry counties in North Carolina and they're dry counties in Tennessee, too, um, where alcohol is not even allowed to be sold. I mean, doesn't the government jump in and have rules that we accept because for whatever reason, that county decides that drinking after a certain hour is irresponsible. I mean, we don't we have rules in place that govern that? What's the what about seatbelts? Like, it, does it take away someone's right to be required to wear a seatbelt? And I understand what you're saying, but when people are starting, when the government starts continually encroaching on things that under the guise of coronavirus. I think if you want to say, "Hey, elect me, and I'm going to re- reinstitute prohibition," then you want to elect that sob. Have fun, but, right, right, but they're right. doing and, it under the but guise isn't that, of coronavirus. But you're right about you're right about that. If someone were to start doing it and and decide that they were going to run on prohibition, then they wouldn't win because everyone would say that's nonsense. We've been there. We've done that. We realized it was stupid, and we're not going to let you do it again. But when people run and make recommendations. I guess my point is, is if is a mask really stopping someone's rights or is it just something that we want to, I mean, I'm not allowed to walk down the street with my ass out either. 
You know, <laughs> there we have rules saying you got to cover up. You can't, it's not restricting my rights to not be able to cover my ass, to not be able to walk down the street without my ass covered. Why is it restricting my rights to not be allowed to go into certain places with my mouth exposed, my mouth and nose exposed? And, and if you think that is a slippery slope, then isn't it more responsible? Isn't it more reasonable to say, okay, if if the next step becomes you want me to wear a moon suit everywhere I go, then I'm going to get pissed off. But um, I, I mean, don't you recognize there's a motivation and there's a reason behind the masks? You know, I, I understand, Clay, but you know what? If they would have told us back in March that this whole two-week flatten the curve thing was going to be six months, I think people would have said that was too far, but that's not how they sell it to you. They sell it to you little by little by little, and the infringements pile up, and then pretty soon... That's where you are. And the thing about the mask and here, and I want to also clarify, because there's a lot of back and forth about the masks. And here's my thing. If you are a business owner and you own that business and you want people to wear masks in your establishment, that is every bit your right. If you are a arm of government and you are using it as a dictate to tell me I have to put something over my face because of coronavirus, when most of these masks on the back of them say that they don't prevent viruses, and I can tell you for dang sure a bandana is not going to prevent a virus, then that's where... Well, girl, how do you know? How do you know? Did you go to medical school, girl? I like, I'd like you to look it up, and I'd like to like you to look at the back, the back of a mask because they have a disclaimer that they don't stop viruses. Now, I understand if you're going to... Mine ain't got a disclaimer. If you want to sneak... None yeah. of mine have disclaimers. I, I mean, and, <laughs> and I listen to medical experts, and I assume that if they say that this mask is the most preventative thing, to me, I think, listen, I'm with you. Pers- I'm with you on... We need to get shit opened up again. I, I work in a business that is completely shut down. Um, you know, nobody's performing live or singing anytime soon in concerts. You know, it's just not happening. I'm all about getting shit opened. And I guess I just would think if I was a conservative and I wanted, for good reason, to get things reopened and get life back to normal, it just feels to me like, okay. That's why I wear the mask, not because it's comfortable, not because my glasses don't fog up when I'm wearing it. I wear it because if this is what it's going to take to get things back open, put me on a damn mask, you know? (laughs) And I guess I feel like if that's what it's going to take, if we could reopen everything and get back to phase four or whatever it is where we can get back into somewhat more normal life, I'll wear the mask. I'll wear it. Don't you ever just think shit. If this will do it, I'll wear it. I just noticed that it hasn't been doing it, Clay. That's, I actually but, said but, but, that before, too. I said, if masks work and everyone's so confident in masks, then why can't we reopen everything? But it was a wear a mask and we're also not reopening. So there's yeah, where, where you're going to get Where have we seen, where have we seen recently examples of people catching it because they weren't wearing masks? I mean, that argument might have worked at some point if we didn't have a high-profile example of a place where they didn't wear masks and everybody caught it. And I, I understand, but can you trace that to them not wearing masks? Can you say that that's what did it if they'd been wearing a mask, that the, those in the White House wouldn't have got coronavirus? Well, I know this. My ass ain't got it, and I've been wearing a mask. And everybody I know, including my Trump voting mama, is wearing the mask, and ain't none of them caught it. And then the most high-profile examples that I have seen have been, you know, a, a group at the White House who just very obviously weren't wearing masks. And, oops, 
they all caught it. And so I guess, you know, because you know, I got to talk about it. You got, you got yourself some heat on the Twitters <laughs> today because you talked about the mask thing with Joe Biden and people didn't love it. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's hard to blame him. He is in the, Joe Biden is in the age, same age bracket as President Trump and he hadn't caught it. And so if he hadn't caught it and he's been wearing a mask and Trump did catch it, President Trump did catch it, and he hasn't been wearing a mask, do you think it was fair to give him shit for it? Well, I think that there's another part of that too, which is Joe Biden really isn't around that many people. Hard to be around that many people when your rallies are that small and you, your campaign locks you in the basement, Clay. <laughs> so you're not, you're well, not really but, doing but, what Trump's But is doing. it possible... Is it possible that maybe he's not go doing the rallies and going around people because he doesn't want to catch it? No, it's pretty, you know? it's actually much more likely that there's nobody at a Biden rally, but we'll leave that aside. What, <laughs> and okay, we'll, you know what? I'm not going to try to argue on that. We don't know what a Biden rally would look like. We do know what a Trump rally would look like. Right. I'm going to, I'll give you that one, but he hadn't caught it. And so do you, th I mean, but, but your thing was more, your tweet was not about your tweet, what did you tell him? You said to might as well wear, wear a purse with that mask. Do you, do you see, are you, do you feel like wearing masks is a sign of weakness in some way? I feel like the ad campaign that Joe Biden put out uh, that with that, with him showing him wearing his mask and president Trump taking his off. Uh, I thought that that was a weak ad. I thought it was corny. I thought it was cringeworthy. And I made a joke that some people don't like. And I understand. Well, listen, I'm not. I'm not coming at you for the. I'm not coming at you for it. I will say, I got it a lot. A whole bunch of people sent me the tweet, but they texted me the tweet. Oh my god, have you seen this? Holy crap! I mean, some of them said some mean things, and I told them all, "Hold on, she's a friend. I'm actually talking to her tonight. <laughs> I'm not going to come <laughs> down on her about it. I understand that it was to you a joke, and I also understand that some people didn't see it as a joke. And I do not think that we need to govern that personally on Twitter, some people are going to say, well, you're not a professional comedian, but well, most of them aren't either. So I, I, I understand it. I guess I'm not going to give you crap for what you said, um, but I am going to ask you what you wanted to accomplish with it. To me, it was a joke. And I think it's also very frustrating. Am I a comedian? No. But to me, it's very frustrating that the same people that have actually on SNL and elsewhere have been mocking the president's illness, that have been cheering for his death, that have been co-signing the city's burning to the ground and being ravaged over justice, are so offended by a little joke tweet from me. It's amazing, the double standard. It's amazing how people get well, so angered, so triggered by a little joke from me, but yet nothing that they say is ever out of bounds. Do you ever notice that, Clay, that the left can pretty well, much say whatever they want? I, 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 I'm not going to agree with you, but I'm also not going to disagree with you because I have said quite a few times to friends of mine, you know, Demo Democrats, progressives, liberals, first of all, let's be honest. Twitter is not representative of America. So it's just not. It's it's the furthest on each end of the spectrum with a lot of free time. Um, and it's not representative of what I believe most of America thinks and acts and feels. Um, but I have said to folks, you know, one of the things, and I want to talk about the debate in a second, but one of the things that I have said to friends that I do believe is that I think there is probably a 
silent Biden voter right now. And I believe that there are probably some people, and I'm going to put my mom in that category, although the fact that I've just said this out loud probably means that she won't be anymore. (laughs) But it's because I do think that if you are, and I've criticized my fellow Democrats about this a lot, if you are someone who voted for Trump um, and did so because you really didn't like Hillary and you weren't 100% sold on Trump, but you felt like, I'm going to give him a chance. I can't stand Hillary Clinton. I'm going to vote for Trump. Let's see what happens. If you had done that and then lived in a bubble and isolated yourself from all sorts of outside stimulus for the, la- for the next four years and only watched what the president had done, I think there would be a lot of folks who would say, okay, not what I wanted. You know, we have seen Republicans, and you've seen them, who have been perhaps like your grandma, who just said, okay, I can't handle this anymore. I can't stomach it. I'm moving. But I think that there's something, some argument to be had that if, since that didn't happen, people didn't live in a bubble. They made their choice. They might have not been proud Trump voters in 2016. They might have been reluctant Trump voters in 2016. But right after it, for the next three years, Democrats screamed at them and told them that they were evil and they were what's wrong with this country and they voted for an idiot and how dare they look at their vote did to our nation, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, you don't change people's minds by telling them how stupid they are and how wrong they are. What, that, what happens when someone attacks you is you pull out your armor and you pull out your weapons. And <laughs> I haven't discussed the debate with my mom because I think that if I just stay shut up and don't nag her about it, she might also see that was just a little bit much. So I guess that was a long diatribe for me to say, I don't think you're wrong. I think that there, don't you, don't you feel sometimes, you got to be honest with me here. Don't you feel sometimes that you want to tweet some of this stuff just to say fuck you to people who don't like Trump? I don't think it's so much that. I think it's just... Girl, you can admit it. I know when you push send, you were like, screw y'all. Sometimes it's just, I think it in my mind and I think it's hilarious and I want to put it out there. And yeah, I, I agree that sometimes it's kind of fun to watch them go into hysterics because the double standard, again, is so hilarious. The things that they get so mad about and then the things that they will turn around and say to me, it's to me, it's flabbergasting. It's like a social experiment. If these people will call me the C word, they'll call me a racist, they'll call me all the, the most horrible things. And then I tweet about a purse and then all of a sudden I'm the antichrist. So it's a social experiment and absurdity sometimes. Right. But, but you know, but my point is you do get a little bit of schadenfreude from them losing, from people online losing their minds at what you said. And they get the same thing by sending you it. And neither one of you are getting no one's going to change your mind by calling you the C word. And you also do realize you're probably not going to change their minds with the tweets that you tweet, right? Oh, I'm not trying to change their minds. I'm not, I'm not playing really? to them. No, because the Why people, not? because you, you have to stop explaining yourself to people who are going to hate you regardless. The far left is going to hate me regardless. The far left hates me because I believe in law enforcement. Okay. So I don't, but sometimes the moderate people. left does too, because sometimes the on, moderate left does too. They don't really, you're right. They don't, they don't really exist, exist on Twitter, on Twitter as much. Really you're don't. right. But, but they might see what you tweeted and think, oh my God, how mean and hateful. 
And I think it's so I mean, funny or, that or whatever it, whatever it is. But my you you understand my point. The, I'm not I'm not blaming you for wanting to poke the beast a little bit. And the reason I don't blame you is because I know that liberals do it too. Hell, I've been guilty of it. So I understand it. But after I hit send, I think, well, shit, that ain't going to change anybody's mind. And sometimes I think the same thing. Who cares? I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. But why aren't you trying to change anybody's mind? I'm not going to change anyone's mind with a joke or a funny tweet. Uh, The way I change people's minds is I break down the policies for them and I show them the amazing economic accomplishments of our president before coronavirus. I show them the amazing accomplishments that he made in regards to the border and the, the number of apprehensions going down significantly after he made basically a deal with Mexico so they could police their own border. And I see the amazing accomplishments that he's made for American workers. I see that he was working on a trade deal with China. I see those things to me that when I sit down and explain to people, that's how I change their mind. It's not by cozying up to Biden and not pointing out the obvious that he's slipping slow and incoherent. That's not going to change okay, or not change. You're not going to get me to agree with you on that. <laughs> well, you're not going to get me to agree with you on that. You cannot tell me that you think that Joe Biden in his current state is the brightest crayon in the box. You just, I know you can't tell me that. Um, no, I can't. I do. I know him. Um, and I don't believe that's the case. I think that he stutters. I think that he takes too long to get to the damn point sometimes. He loves his stories, and he will needs to bring the plane in for a landing a little bit faster sometimes. Um, I'll give you that, but I don't think that he's slipping to the point that he's... I don't, I don't believe that he is, he is slipping in the way that some... I'm trying to find this tweet that you tweeted also today, because you said something else. You said, um, at this point, I honestly don't think that Joe Biden wants to be president. He can't be this bad. It has to be self-sabotage. Um, I want to ask you what you meant by that, but I also find it funny because I know some people who felt the same thing about the president's decision to stop negotiating about the stimulus or about COVID relief today. What was your take on him deciding to stop talks about it? Well, he's tired of conceding to the Democrats because the Democrats, all they do is move the goalposts further and further left. We saw it with the shutdown and immigration. It's every but time didn't they come down. I mean, they, they asked for four trillion and now they're down to like two and two point one trillion. Isn't that moving the goalpost in his direction? Um, no, because if I if I asked you, Clay, for a million dollars and then said I would sell, settle for 500000 I still don't think you'd give it to me. <laughs> so, no, we always move further left. We saw it with immigration. I don't think that there's any good faith negotiate, negotiations that are going to come from the Democrats. And quite frankly, I agree with Donald Trump that he's not going to be bailing out states that want to keep their economies closed and keep their people struggling and then just swoop in and bail them out. Because but we, this can't be good for him when it comes to the election. Can, do you think? I, I mean, think it, there are people who are hurting and I, they're going to say, and he's owning that the, he's not even going to try to help them until after the election. And I, I understand. And I actually have uh, commentary coming out about that. And I understand that the Americans that are struggling. But I also know that there are so many Americans, because I talk to them every day, that believe that the best stimulus they could be giving 
given is a reopened economy. And so to bail out these leaders and say, you can keep your states locked down. I don't think we're changing anything. I think that it's up to well, people that put are- put on your mask, girl. No, 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 no. Don't stop. They've got, they've got the strictest- like, like, yeah. But this is where I wonder, but like Clay, what's the, they, what's they the end the strictest, goal? This is the same thing with guns. They have the strictest mask mandates in California and New York of anywhere in this country and they are still closed so if people have been wearing their masks and had these mandates since march okay they're not reopening and then they reopen and they oh, shut back down in fairness they have reopened but they have loosened the restrictions well tell that to and people in that, loosening that own restri- businesses and in loosening the restrictions things pop back up right yeah well talk, talk to the people that's that's jobs and their businesses and they've worked for generations to build are completely crushed because of the dictates of Cuomo and Gavin Newsom. Okay. Oh no! Listen, you may be you may be right, but isn't there a middle ground somewhere? I mean, so we're not going to give any stimulus, or we're not going to give any COVID relief because we want the economy to, to reopen, but we don't want to wear masks because, like, I don't. I guess this is where I get frustrated because I don't understand. And maybe listen, I I might be willing at some point. Listen, I probably pissed off liberals enough already tonight. Um, but I, I'd be willing to look at what the stimulus or the COVID relief bills includes and give in some places. I think I think that Nancy Pelosi has tried to do that by coming from four trillion down to two point whatever trillion. But I would also kind of want something in return. And it kind of sounds to me like, no, we don't want to give any money. And we're also not we're also going to put our hands on our hips and not wear masks either just reopen and go for it do you do you not see like where where would your side give in but it's, you but it's not on the table come to the table it's with? not on the table it's not on the table if okay guys if we wear a mask will you reopen because people are wearing their masks in california new york and other places and they're still not reopened would you tell your viewers to wear their masks if that was part of oh, the table if you're going to say let's reopen 100 percent and we have to wear our mask but then i also ask this question how long are we going to wear masks for is this going to be what we do now for the rest of eternity until there are no more viruses is that we're all going to have a, a face diaper strapped to our mouth? Is that, that what we're going to do? That sounds like that's a little extreme though, but, uh, Tommy. It's not extreme I think because part of the discussion, part of that, but that question can be asked that part of that question can be asked in part of the negotiate in part of the discussion. Sure. We will agree. I'll tell all my viewers and we'll all agree to wear our masks until when ask the question. Okay. Well, I would say perhaps we need to say we need to keep the masks on until vaccines are available for everyone. Would that be okay for you? No. Or would that be too long? That's that's absolutely too long. And here's the thing about the mask. When you talk about the scientists, um, the anointed one, Dr. Fauci, at the beginning of all this was the one that was questioning masks and telling people not to run out and get them. So when the dialogue from the scientists and the health experts has been changing, it's difficult for Americans to buy into it wholeheartedly. Plus, Honey, when, t- when seatbelts were invented, people thought scientists thought they were a bad idea because they'd trap you in a burning car. And then we realized... <laughs> Oh, maybe, maybe we, maybe they are a good idea. I mean, some of this, some of the research changes. I agree. They did say masks weren't weren't necessary and weren't helpful, and then they realized a little bit more about it. Right? So seatbelts weren't helpful, but then they realized, oh, actually, in the scheme of things, you're better off having one on. Do you think we're going to um, look back at this time in history and say, boy, maybe if we wouldn't have closed down and isolated everybody, and we would have allowed this to run its course and we would allow 
herd immunity, maybe that would have been a better option. You know, looking back, that may we very might. well be what history looks at. But until then, Americans are just expected to keep handing over their rights, keep handing them over. And, and there's a big difference I just between don't get the rights thing because I feel like again, I can't walk around with my with my with no pants on. I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> So and I don't and I don't feel like my right has been taken away from me. Well, nobody told you that under that being, nobody told you that that was for a coronavirus relief either. <laughs> this is all. This well, is all it's, new. Trust me, trust me. It's for the benefit of all of our health. <laughs> <laughs> I don't walk around with my pants off. <laughs> so it's it's the same thing, kind of. Why did wax replicants crowd an Italian church? And what do wax organs tell us about the history of medicine? Why does the Minotaur still intrigue us? And why would its bovine mouth crave human flesh? Hi, I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. Join us on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast for the entire month of October as we take our annual descent into a host of bloody, monstrous, and terrifying topics. From forest spirits that beckon you off the path to wax sculptors on a rampage, we'll be looking at spooky subjects all this month to peel away the flesh and reveal the underlying science and history and leave you with an even richer understanding of a world that's always weirder than we can imagine. What sorts of scientific concepts can we glean from episodes of The Outer Limits or Tales from the Dark Side? And what's the ghastly history and promising future of blood substitutes? Join us to find out. New Halloween-themed episodes published twice a week with older Vault episodes re-entering the world on Saturdays to spread around some of last year's grisly offerings. Listen to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I knew they were going to kill him. Please ain't FBI. This is Fight Night, a new podcast from iHeartRadio. This is the story about two guys from opposite sides of the street. A hustler blamed for robbing the most dangerous gangsters in the country. This is like issued a, a death warrant for me for something that I don't even know anything about. And the cop who tried to save his life. They thought he had robbed a deadliest man in this country. Guys who would not hesitate to blow your head off. In 1970, Muhammad Ali triumphantly returned to the ring. At the hustler's party that followed, gangsters from around the country were robbed of a million dollars. This story from Atlanta, Georgia, has been reported for 50 years. But now, for the first time, you're going to hear what really happened from the people who lived it. Listen and follow Fight Night on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, how, how did you feel about the debate? You know, I wish that we could have gotten a little bit deeper into certain policy issues. But for those that are upset, and I know plenty of Republicans, by the way, plenty of Trump supporting Republicans that I know that were not happy with Trump's performance. And I understand. And you, what, are you one of them? No. And here's why. Really? The, the strategy, I believe, for Donald Trump going into that debate was I know that the media is always going to be stacked against me. I know that this debate format is most likely going to be stacked against me. And I know that the questions of Joe Biden are probably not going to be the same questions that are asked of me because he's been getting softball questions since the beginning. So I think that Trump's strategy going in was not to try to draw policy distinctions because you can look at his record and see where his policy positions lie and what he's done. And you can look at his record and you can see what he wants to do and what he wants to take this country. I think that the strategy that for Donald Trump in that debate 
was to make Joe Biden look old, feeble, weak, and to expose a lot of the vulnerabilities that Joe Biden has. And I think he did that. Now, it was it was frustrating, the talking over the interrupting, but things wouldn't have been brought up if Donald Trump didn't interrupt and say them. And that is the unfortunate part about how these debates usually go. So can can we agree on the fact that some people, that there are three groups of people watching this, any debate? Absolutely. There's one group of people that is supporting Donald Trump and they are looking for, they're going into it, looking for things about Joe Biden that they think are failures and Donald Trump's successes. They're on the other side, people who are in all the way for Joe and do not like the president and therefore are going to absolutely see things through a different lens. I don't personally think I'm in, I'm in that category. You're in the other category. I don't think that Joe looked feeble. I think he looked, I think he lost his temper a little bit more than I wished he had, but he definitely didn't look feeble. And you saw him looking feeble maybe because you were looking for it. And I didn't because I wasn't. But there's also that third group. And and for all the crap that Mitt Romney got for saying it, he wasn't wrong that there is just about six or so percent in the middle who haven't made up their minds and can go either way. Do you really think that that, mod- that group in the middle that was still watching the debate not having the lens that I have and not having the lens that you have. Do you think that they saw Joe Biden looking feeble or do you think they walked away saying, holy crap, President Trump completely crashed and burned and turned that debate into something impossible to watch? I think people like a fighter. And I think if people didn't like a fighter, then we would have elected John McCain or Mitt Romney. But the fact of the matter is this president got elected in 2016 because of the way that he is and his style and the way that he performed, which everybody went into hysterics, the way he debated Hillary, too, and how that turned out. (laughs) But I will say this. I think that it's very obvious. Maybe you don't want to admit it, but I think it's very obvious that Joe Biden is not as sound of mind as he used to be. I mean, okay, so I don't want to admit it, just like you don't want to admit that the president completely turn that debate into something. No, the, the president be, turned it into what he wanted it to be. And did I think it was productive on either side? No, but I think the president had things he needed to get out. Nobody was going to ask Joe Biden about the $3.5 million from the ex-mayor of Russia's wife going to his son, Hunter. No one is going to ask him about that. And that's the sad part where unfortunately- but isn't, that because, isn't that because the journalists who have looked into it have found it to be a, an inaccurate No, attack? it's not inaccurate. It is accurate. They said, oh, well, the, 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 but there's no there's no conflict of interest. A man that's serving on a board of energy where he has no experience whatsoever is getting huge payments while his father also happens to be overseeing Ukraine policy. Hello, there's a problem there. And if there, even if there isn't a problem, why are we not asking about it? Because I see that the question was so, uh, so cheerfully asked about but, Trump's but, tax but isn't returns. He- but nobody but wants he, to ask about the other things. Did people see the forest for the trees, though? I mean, it, was it possible to eat? Let's assume that the president had points that needed to be made. Let's assume that you're right. Let's just put aside some of the other arguments <laughs> to the contrary. But let's assume that you're right, and he had did have facts that needed to be made. Do you think people actually heard them? Those people in the middle. Because 
Or do you think that they couldn't because it was impossible to follow? It was worse than watching, you know, Elizabeth and Rosie fight on The View back in the day <laughs> when they couldn't, you know? You, you couldn't hear what was going on. I mean, it, it, did you? And you saw after it was all over, poll numbers weren't that great following the debate for the, for the president. I mean, people genu- genuinely did not find that performance to be presidential. What did your grandma say after? Uh, I didn't ask my grandma what she thought about it. Um, I do un- I do agree with you that I wish that the points would have been made a little bit more clearly on both sides. However, I do believe that the president accomplishment accomplished what he set out to do. Now, I do believe that um, the, uh, the pairing and the teaming uh, against Donald Trump may not have been the most fair in the world. And that's all, all I will say about that. I'm looking forward to the next debate. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting some more policy issues. But uh, I, again, when we talk about poll numbers, <laughs> if you go by the polls, Hillary would be your president. Uh, poll numbers don't worry me. I believe no, 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 in the no, silent majority. I believe in the silent majority. And I will tell you this in confidence. I see Donald Trump winning this election by a landslide. And the only reason that I would see that he wouldn't win this election by a landslide would be voter fraud because of the mail-in voting system. Girl, you are teeing me up for my next question. Oh, I cannot are wait. Are you telling me? <laughs> are you telling me that it doesn't concern you though that that some that for the first time in 250 plus years of this country that someone might not be willing to accept the results of a, of a of a election? It doesn't concern you. Do you not worry at all about, the, I mean, hell, talk about riots. You don't worry about the fact that people could be in the streets if the president says, don't trust this election, these election results. There was fraud and therefore I'm not leaving. That doesn't concern you? Two things. The left still hasn't accepted the results of the 2016 election, hence all the witch hunts. Obviously, we've accepted it. I mean, shit, he's the president. Yeah, he's in the White House right now without a mask on. About everything that you but, guys But it doesn't do matter. But it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. He still got sworn in, and Hillary didn't try as much as she well, might have that. not been happy about it. She didn't show up on Inauguration Day and try to talk. John Roberts into yeah. swearing her in instead. I mean, she right. Amen to that. reluctantly accepted the fact that she did lose the electoral college. And those folks who want to complain about the popular vote, let them do it on Twitter. It doesn't matter. Right. She didn't claim voter fraud in these states. Doesn't it worry you? No, though, she just that, said that, that Russia perhaps? won the election. But I, I, well, we're going to get off. But she didn't show up on the twentieth and asked to be sworn okay. in. It doesn't I don't think that Donald that Trump would might... do that either. But I will say this: when you talked about the rioting in the streets, boy, Clay, I haven't seen a whole lot of conservatives rioting in the streets, but I, I sure have seen a lot of liberals all over the summer. So, do I think? Well, I guess this it ha- depends on what you're watching, girl. Oh well, <laughs> I mean, I can tell you we've this. We've seen. I mean, I can tell you this. In Seattle and Portland, it's not Trump supporters beating cops over the head with bats. I can promise you that one. That is not a Trump supporter. I can tell you this, too. Every time some baseball or basketball or college football team wins a big game, I don't do sports balls, I don't know, but every time they win a game... In Chapel Hill, some cars get set on fire in celebration on Ninth Street in Durham when Duke wins. Some shit gets set on fire and people celebrate. And when the Red Sox win, Boston has... It happens. No one considers them riots. Then they're celebrations. I, I guess there's, there is a 
there is, you want to talk about double standards. There are sometimes double standards to how we see. But I have no problem you know. denouncing that because I think that's tomfoolery. I think it's BS. And I think anybody that's going to light anybody else's property on fire, no matter who you vote for, no, no matter what I you do. I look forward to watching your show after the World Series. Oh, I, <laughs> because I, I want to hear you say it. I think, that's, <laughs> I think it's disgusting when people do that. But you can't point and say that those are Trump supporters, by the way. But, no, 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 no. I didn't, yeah. I didn't say that either. Yeah. I didn't say no, that either. I, I but think I all said of that. that. I think anytime that you destroy property that's not your own, I think it's despicable. And I have no problem calling that out. Although the Democrats seem to have a pretty hard time condemning rioting. <laughs> um, Do you... So, but but back to back yeah, to the your, back to, do the I think that he'll the accept election. it? Here's the thing: I am very concerned about voter fraud. I'm very concerned about this election not being certified for weeks, months, maybe even longer. I'm very concerned about what that's going to do to our country. I'm I am very concerned about the integrity of mail-in voting. I happen to know a lot about it because I've done a lot of research into it, especially in the state of California. So that is a thing that bothers me um, and keeps me awake at night. If I'm being honest, that is what concerns me. It's not that well, Trump isn't going to win. It's that, and, that, and it's happened in California. It's going to well, be well. California is probably not going to go to Trump regardless. No, no, right? but but there has been um, races in the midterms in California where the Republican was winning um, on election night, and then after they found a bunch of mail-in votes conveniently and flipped the seats. So that does concern me. I'm concerned about that. I, I don't think that you can have this many people mail in voting, even if there wasn't, even if fraud wasn't a part of this and people trying to take advantage, I would be- Utah's done it for a long time, right? I'd be very concerned about the number of Americans that are going to be mailing in a ballot this year and how that logistically is going to go. Right. But Utah, Utah and Oregon and Colorado, there are a lot of states that have done mail in voting for a long time and haven't had a problem. Um, well, that's that's up for interpretation whether they've had a problem or not. But I can tell you, I don't live in those states. I can tell you that in California, it's a huge problem. We have ballot harvesting, which is legal in places like California. Um, that's horrifying that you can have take somebody else's ballot, that you can fill it out yourself and turn it in without a verified signature. That is horrifying. Well, I'm going to look into that because if you can do it without a verified signature, that might not be the the best yes, thing. In but California. in states like North Car- <laughs> but in states like North Carolina, ballot harvesting is illegal. There are steps in place. People have mailed in absentee votes with no excuse for years in North Carolina, and the only ballot harvesting issue that we've had was in 2018. When the Republicans did it, I, well, I agree with you. So, I think that so, there's so a lot I, of problems with it, and I'm not giving anybody a pass. But they were caught, right? But they were caught, right? But now take I mean, this so on the scale of happened, the entire country, though. Take it on the scale of the entire well, country. But we don't vote as a country. We vote as states. Right, but now right? take so it, take every at, state that now has a mail-in voting system because of coronavirus and now amplify any problems that they've ever had. It's going to be a disaster. And I think no matter what you think about mail-in voting or voter fraud, whatever, you kind of have to agree with me that this many people voting in this way at this magnitude with what we're going through in this country right now, it is not going to be clean. It is going to be messy. I do. I don't know that it'll... I do think that there will be problems. I think that there will be reasons for concern but my personal belief is we have a situation where we have we can understand why especially older voters don't want to go in to the polls in person wait in lines and risk infection etc so we understand that there's a reason to try to protect american citizens why not make sure that we're do in florida and north carolina they have both both states have done it for years with high 
mail-in voting, high absentee uh, ballots in both of those states. And both of those states are allowed to start processing and counting those ballots up to three weeks in advance to make sure that they're ready. You know, if they've got a system, the president has said Florida's system works. He has had confidence in Florida's mail-in voting system. Um, I don't know why he is okay with Florida's system, but not other states. Well, because but, some states have bloated voter rolls. So if, if Florida does a good job of purging their voter rolls and making sure that everybody that is requesting a mail-in vote or an absentee ballot, that that is legitimate, then that's great. And then that system can run. But the problem is that there are so many states that don't do that. And there are so many states that have voter rolls that are bloated, that they have dead people that are getting ballots. And then when you've got a state like California that legalizes ballot harvesting, you're in for a real disaster. Well, I don't think you have to worry about California being swung in the wrong direction because it's probably going to go for Biden no matter what. Um, if 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 Idaho or South Dakota goes for Biden, then we might talk. Um, but I don't <laughs> think that that's going to happen either. Um, we take um, questions from our listeners every week in our little quick fire round. Obviously, you are uh, you invoke. A lot of enthusiasm from people. Um, so we got a lot of questions for you this week. I've uh, culled through them to make sure that they are nice. Uh, and um, we're going to take some questions for, from listeners. You can send us your questions for our guests at Politicon. I'm sorry, um, at Politicon on Instagram and on Twitter and via email, podcasts at Politicon.com. Who I think I got that out. Sean from Annapolis wants to know, what would it take to disqualify Trump in your mind? To disqualify Trump? Um, let's. What would it take to make, what, 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 is there anything he could do to make you not like him? There's a lot of things he could do to make me not like him. To disqualify him legally? I mean, there would have to be a legal yeah, well, disqualification. I mean, but it, I'm going okay, to change the question. Yeah. <laughs> to disqualify him in my mind. I'm going to change the question because I, yeah. I understand why it's confusing. So I'm, I'm with you. But uh, sorry, Sean. What, is there anything that the president could do to make you not want to vote for him? Um, not over Joe Biden, because the future of our country is at stake. So there's very little that our president could do. I guess the only thing that would make me vote for Joe Biden is Donald Trump came out tomorrow and said, I'm going to take your guns. I'm going to keep your businesses closed and I'm going to open up our borders. <laughs> so basically, Joe Biden's is agenda. Is there any is there anything he's done that you've not? I mean, what has he done that you've not liked? Um, the first step act, actually, I, I don't believe in releasing. Um, really? Right. And, and you know, there's a lot of back and forth about that. But if you look at some of the people that were released under the first step act, you'll find that it's people that should not have been released. And again, because I lived in California for three years, I know what reclassifying felonies as misdemeanors and doing messing with that and your reclassifications, I know what you end up with on your streets. So that I was not happy with the first step act. And other than that, uh, I think he did everything that he could do with immigration. There's only so much you can do when the other side doesn't play ball. And there's only so much you can do when the rhinos that had well, the House didn't. and Senate for well, two years didn't do anything. Okay. Yeah, their fault. Okay, I was going to say, he did can... have the Senate. <laughs> oh, I know. He did have all three brand things. Yeah, he did. Okay. And that's the rhinos. I'll have hey, no Well, you know what? Listen, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little bit of credit for at least having one strong thing that you disagreed with him on. I don't think every, anyone buys all their clothes from the same store. <laughs> so it always makes me very skeptical when there's nothing that Trump can do to 
wrong for some of these people. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you credit for that. I happen, I, I'm not really surprised because I thought the first step act was one of the good things that he did. So it doesn't, doesn't surprise me that you didn't like it because we don't agree on much. Howard from Chicago wants to know, would lowering the voting age save our democracy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, if Elaborate. you look at if you look at high schools right now, if you look at, I mean, I think that they're talking about what to 16. Um, this generation. Oh, are they talking about it? I don't know. I, yeah, they were. That was, from, that, so was, that was that uh, was put forth um, last year, I believe. Um, that was put forth as an as an option. Um, no, I, I are don't. they just trying to get Claudia Conway to be allowed to vote? Is that what it is? I, I think that the TikTok generation um, does not need to be voting right now. Nope, not not a good idea in my book. Okay, I mean, you know, I might I might can co-sign that one with you. Um, <laughs> Debbie from Omaha wants to know who is the natural successor to Trump. Boy, that's a difficult one. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom Cotton. I think that he is excellent. He was the first one to really raise the red flags about coronavirus in China. And he's been very consistent on border issues as well as criticizing felon friendly policies like the First Step Act. So I'm a big Tom Cotton fan. Uh, I think he's very down home. I think he's easy to understand. And, and he's a good kind of a middle American man. And uh, I think that that is somebody that I'm looking towards. But we've got a, a not Christy Nome. You know, um, she's a great governor for South Dakota, but I think that she's a great governor for South Dakota. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Girl, she's going to run because I have never seen so many South Dakota tourism ads in my life until the last few. And she's, you know, she's on the face of them. She's speaking in the ad. Yep. She's on so many things right now. Um, South Dakota tourism. She's going to run. I mean, you don't run that many South Dakota tourism ads if with the governor speaking <laughs> unless she wants to raise her national profile. I do believe she's going to run. Tom Cotton scares the shit out of me. But <laughs> that's another that's another podcast episode um, for another day. Last one, uh, Cirrus or Cyrus? Sorry, Cirrus or Cyrus. I'm um, uh, um, a little bit, uh, I might, might have messed up your name. Uh, from Nashville wants to know, when are you going to run for mayor of Nashville? Oh boy, you know, I, I don't like running for office. I don't like the idea of it. But if I were to run for anything, it would be the mayor of Nashville. Because as everybody that follows me know, I'm very critical of this mayor. I watch him like a Cyrus hawk. must follow you. Yes, he must. He knows that this is my hot button. I don't move to a place and don't get involved. <laughs> and I think that you and I, Clay, I think you and I maybe could um, bond over that because if I'm going to live, we would probably run against each other. Well, though, girl. But the thing but okay. about it is, is <laughs> even if you're a passionate Democrat or a passionate liberal, I respect people that care about the politics at the local level because so many people don't. So many people get so excited about presidential races, maybe even Senate races, but they don't care about their local government and their local government well, is what impacts and state them government's most. really what runs your life. Yes. State government, especially. I mean, we are, we, I, I get, I'm pissing off them already tonight, so it's okay. Um, but we, the Electoral College is there for a reason. We aren't, we don't vote as a country individually. Our states vote for president. Each right. state votes for president. Each state is represented. The Senate represents. So states really, I mean, I'm not a federalist on a lot of things, but I, I, do, I do believe that we have to remember that the things that most affect our lives on a day-to-day -day basis happen on a state level and a local level. You're right. So when you're running, girl. Well, it'll be a little bit, but I'm watching this mayor and I have some other people that I think would be great to challenge him. But someday, and I'm only, I'm only 28. So 
give me a few years, but I'm gonna learn a little okay. bit more about Nashville. I would only, I've only been here for six months, so I'm gonna learn a little bit more. I'm gonna brush up on my my Tennessee knowledge, and then maybe maybe you never know. Okay, she's not opposed to it. She's not opposed to it. Last one, Sam from Austin wants to know what type of purse would suit Joe Biden best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my favorite question. I don't even know what kind of purse that Joe would look good with. I mean, I maybe it's not a Birkin. He's not a Birkin no, bag. I'm going to get in trouble for this, no matter what I say. But again, this is in the spirit of humor, of joking, of of everything. I'm, I'm accepting fun the fact myself. that you thought it was humorous. Yes, it's humorous. I'm with you. I asked it. I, again, I let the question be approved. And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get a lot a of credit for it. But I personally. And again, this is the spirit of humor. So everyone don't get upset at me. Just have a little laugh, take a breath. I think that Joe Biden would look fantastic with a Hello Kitty purse. Personally, what? Hello Kitty. Come on, he's at least a Kate Spade level, right? I don't know. I think Hello Kitty. Kind of plain, a little bit plain. (laughs) (laughs) Not too flashy. Joe Biden can use my purse anytime he wants. How about that? We'll just end that in, in the spirit of just bipartisanship. If Joe Biden ever needs an extra purse, I got him. I don't think he needs a purse. I don't think that you were. I, I, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna necessarily condone it. I don't think it was horribly funny. But I appreciate the fact that you didn't really actually mean it in an in the spirit of meanness. I don't believe. I <laughs> no malice intended. Were, I promise. We can all just laugh every once in funny. a while. You it's were just. To be funny. It's okay. And you know what, I, what I'll say I to liberals sometimes too. too is. I can watch SNL and I can watch, you know, I can watch Alec Baldwin do a Donald Trump impression and I can make, I can have a laugh. You know, I might not like it. It might at some point kind of offend me some of the things he says, but I can watch it and I can have a laugh. It is okay to laugh every once in a while. This is a circus. The only thing that's going to get us through it is a little bit of laughter. Not everything is intended to be malicious. Well, I also just think that there's a personally, there's a lot of stuff that I believe does deserve some outrage. I don't need to find other reasons to be mad about things. I mean, <laughs> did, did I agree? The, do I agree that wearing a mask makes you less of a man? Absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get, I'm personally, God, I'm going to get so much hate mail. I'm personally just not going to, I don't have the energy to be mad all the time like people on Twitter do. I just don't have the energy for it. Uh, Tommy, how the hell are we going to get along? I really do believe that we can have conversations and we can disagree. And I think you and I do it. We can laugh. We can be done with this. And I can think Joe Biden's feeble and you can think Donald Trump's an a-hole. And at the end of the day, do I think that you're a person of good character? Absolutely. And I wish we would start looking at people for their character rather than who they're voting for or what their political affiliation is. Because at the end of the day, we're all people. We've all got opinions. And this is America. We do it best, and we all just have to remember that. Okay, I'm going to hold you to it now. (laughs) I'm going to hold you to it. Tommy Lahren, um, I I always enjoy speaking with you, even though I disagree with you so much. (laughs) You've got a book out, Never Play Dead. Uh, um, what, what, What should people expect when they pick that up? Oh boy. So if people are expecting me to just delve into conservative politics, they're going to be disappointed. Yes, there's conservative politics in it, but it's a lot more about the things that I've been through, my journey to be where I am. You know, you, you know this, some people might not, but I was fired from a network for saying I was pro-choice 
And I got a, I got a little bit of love from the liberals there for about two weeks and then they hated me again. But I just talked about that experience <laughs> and I just talked about having confidence no matter what your political beliefs are. I believe that we should all have confidence and stand up for what we believe in. And I believe I can help everybody learn how to do that if they don't know how to do it already, especially young women on both sides of the aisle. So that is really the theme of the book. Tommy Laren, I think you're wrong on so many things, but I do like you. So I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> well, the feeling is mutual, <laughs> Clay, so there us. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Thank you so much for being with us this week. Thanks so much. If you like what you heard, please make sure you rate, review, subscribe, comment, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever you want to do um, on wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Politicon on Instagram and Twitter at Politicon, or you can go to Politicon.com. You can find out more about this podcast and Politicon's other podcasts, The War Room with James Carville and Al Hunt, which is something we're all very excited about as well. And we will be back next week with another episode of How the Heck Are We Gonna Get Along? On September 17th, 2009, 24-year-old Mitrice Richardson disappeared without a trace in the woods near Malibu, California, and was never seen alive again. I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the podcast, Helen Gone. We're going to try to find out what really happened to Mitrice Richardson. School of Humans and iHeartRadio present Helen Gone, Season 3. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? I am Machine Gun Kelly, and look, I know Halloween is going to suck this year because there's no trick-or-treating and all that, but I've got a treat. There's a musical podcast that I made with my friends 24K Golden, Ian Dior, and Dana Dentata, and Satan. Well, Satan's not my friend, but Tommy Lee is, and Tommy Lee is playing Satan. But don't just take it from me. Tell him, Satan. Thanks, dude. It feels great to be playing Satan on this podcast. Listen to Halloween in Hell on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts on.